If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. This is a place of relaxation, of stories you may know or know of, but perhaps a few that are new to you. All meant to usher you into a place of relaxation and rest. And this story, oh, Icarus, may even have you dreaming of flying. So long as you wake up safe and sound, we'll count that as a smooth landing. Drift is made possible for you by my sleep sisters at Envy Pillow. I first found Envy Pillow several years ago when I was suffering stressed neck pain. Envy Pillow is the only certified natural pillow you'll find infused with copper, antimicrobial and collagen boosting copper. And as a special gift to you for listening to Drift, Kathy and Kim are offering 10% off any purchases you make with them using the code DRIFT. Learn more in the morning at Envy Pillow. That's E-N-V-Y Pillow.com and sleep with the best. Before we get to our story from Greek mythology, let's take a few minutes to get you relaxed. I want you to take a deep breath in. Now hold it and out slowly, just concentrating on that breath. Feel it on the inhale again. And on the exhale, letting all of your cares and your tension, your thoughts and your worries just go. It can all wait. There's nothing right now you need to do. Nothing at all. Now feel the sensation of heaviness in your feet, your calves, your thighs, and your backside. Release the hold of your hips, your belly, your shoulders, and your arms. And now, your neck. Let it just go and rest your head heavily on your pillow, in your pillow. Relax your face, your mouth, your eyebrows, and let your eyelids rest closed. They're heavy, aren't they? Now one more breath in, feeling the joy of the peaceful moment you're in right now, and out with gratitude as I'm grateful for you. Think these words. I am safe. I am loved. I am at peace. And if you're ready, let's drift. We take you back, way back to the times of Greek kings and gods. Daedalus was the grandson of a king and the greatest engineer and architect of his day. Yes, he could design and build like no other. 
But then there was his talent as a sculptor. He could make all creatures look so lifelike that they appeared that they might take a breath at any moment. In fact, such were his talents that these creatures did indeed move so that they appeared to be living. It was thanks to Daedalus that builders, engineers, and architects, who followed in his footsteps, had the axe, the carpenter's level, and even the wimble, which is used for boring holes. Daedalus was never content to sit on his many laurels. He was always thinking, always inventing. He taught all he knew in mechanical arts to his nephew, Perdri. Oh, and he taught well, for soon it seemed that his nephew, while not better than his uncle, had certainly equaled him in his creative and inventive powers. How do we know? Well, one day while walking along the beach, the boy picked up the spine of a fish. He took it home, copied it as best he could in iron, and voila, he had invented the saw. Then he put two pieces of iron together, connected them at one end with a rivet, sharpened both ends, and made a pair of compasses. Well, everyone thought that Perdri had surely surpassed even the accomplishments of his renowned and brilliant uncle. This was too much for Daedalus to take. And on a nice walk one day, the envious uncle threw dear Perdri off the top of the Acropolis to what would most certainly have been a terrible death. But through divine intervention, he was saved. You see, Pallas Athene, the goddess who protects all clever craftsmen, turned Perdri into a partridge, which bears his name today en français. And so jealous Daedalus saw his nephew fly away into the fields. It is for that reason that even today you will not find a partridge who nests at a high elevation or who flies toward the clouds. Daedalus was made to answer for the atrocity he committed, or almost committed, and was banished from Athens. It was in the court of Minos, or Minos, we shall call him Minos, that the elder inventor found refuge. He dedicated all of his talents and powers to the service of the king of Crete, and even designed a labyrinth which, just like the river Meander, had neither a beginning nor an end, but would double back on itself in unending intricacy. Soon the king held him in the highest of favor. But this was not enough for Daedalus, and he went a step too far, with a daring invention that incurred the wrath of Minos. The angry king threw him in jail and just for good measure, also imprisoned Daedalus's son, Icarus. Now you might wonder if Daedalus, the mastermind that he was, 
who'd be held by the bars of a prison. You would be right to ask, for the answer is no. There were no bars or locks that could outsmart the architect, and it did not take long at all for Daedalus and Icarus to escape the tower prison that was to be their home until their deaths. Getting out of jail was one thing. Getting out of Crete was a whole other endeavor. But, of course, the pair was up for it. They could not sail away, for although there were plenty of places in which to hide on the wild island, many of Minos's subjects were mariners and would easily spot the pair trying to craft a boat on which to make their watery escape. So that was not going to be an option. Then Daedalus had himself an idea, which, as you know, was his way. How he laughed! From there in their hiding spot, deep in the cypresses on the hillside, as he thought of how he would fool the silly sailor men who were keeping an eye out for the father and son escapees. He sneered at the thought of the king, thinking he could outsmart the brightest mind and craftsman his or any other kingdom had seen, simply by putting him behind bars? Ha! The vengeful architect sacrificed a great many birds to his plan to escape Crete. Their feathers were affixed to light wooden frames until they looked like the wings of a great eagle or even of a swan, traversing its majestic path from lake to river. Each feather he stuck to the wood with wax, and so perfect was the job he did in constructing those wings that even on the first day that he fastened them to his back, Daedalus found that he could fly exactly as a bird did. Of course he could, for he was a genius, he thought. Then he set out to make a second pair, this one for his son Icarus. Strapping them on and flying about Icarus the way a mother bird displays for her offspring, the way of landings and takeoffs, Daedalus demonstrated to his son just how these amazing feathered wings could help him to soar high, to dive low, and to conquer the winds and make them do their bidding, just like the birds who had given up their cover to aid the pair in their endeavors. Can you imagine the joy the father and son felt that day? For Daedalus, it was the ecstasy of having defied gravity and used his brilliance once again for success. But for Icarus, it was simply the joy of freedom, the heady feeling of power that were so glorious. Of course, as a boy he had watched birds wing their way to where the sun was setting and how he had longed to pursue them in their flight. He had dreamed, as so many of us do, of snapping the bonds of earth and its gravity, to take to the skies and soar above the trees and fields to the place his heart desired. How many mornings had he awakened and spread his arms, only to learn he had not, in fact, been given the gift of flight. 
but was still in his clumsy, mortal form, bound to the earth forever. But this was no longer the case. He was free. Oh, the joy that filled his soaring heart. It gave Daedalus almost an equal amount of pleasure to watch his son dipping and diving and then flying straight up like a hummingbird displaying its aerodynamic expertise. But he did have words of caution for his gleeful son. Beware, dear son of my heart, he said, that in this newfound power of yours you do not seek to soar even to the gates of Olympus. For if the scorching burnished wheels of the chariot of Apollo come close to you, the wax that binds your feathers to your wings will melt, and then, well, then a fate will befall you that will bring great sorrow to you and to me, sorrow that I dare not even speak. Icarus dreamed that night of flying again, but this time, when he awoke, instead of feeling great sadness and disappointment at being shackled to the earth by gravity, he saw his father standing by his bed of soft leaves, all ready to bind on to his receptive and willing shoulders those great wings that he had crafted. The pinkish tendrils of dawn drew lines across the eastern skies as Daedalus and Icarus began their flight. They flew so slowly at first that the goat herds who tended their flocks on the slopes of Mount Ida wondered at these dark shadows lurking in the skies above them. One would imagine, had these men known of the dinosaurs before them, thoughts of a pterodactyl might well have come to mind. The goat herds watched as the monster birds headed out towards the sea, never imagining that they were seeing the king's fleeing prisoners making their greatest escape yet. Below them, the waterfowl shrieked at the sight above of what were to them the most unfamiliar predators, and they flew as fast as their wings might carry them to escape these most dangerous beasts. As the mariners on the seashore heard the great unrest and flapping and squawking, they too looked up towards the fleeing birds and saw with their own eyes the giant creatures above, silhouetted in the early morning light, feeling certain that their appearance must mean some terrible disaster was pending. They ran towards their homes and prepared to make sacrifices on the altars of Poseidon, the ruler of the deep. The pair flew on, leaving behind their captive island, and over the Aegean Sea. Despite the sun rising steadily in the sky, young Icarus found the winds off the sea to be cold, and his slim body was chilled. Despite the energy he was expending with each flap, flap, flap of those massive white wings. Behind him, his father, in a darker, slower, yet equally sturdy pair of wings, watched his son with great pride. Pride in Icarus, of course, but also in himself. For who else could have conceived of, 
and then made a reality of real wings with which to fly, to flee, and to find freedom once more. How wonderful their lives would become once they had landed in their new homeland. On they flew, and as they bent their course to approach Sicily, the boy longed for the sun's rays to turn the waters of the Aegean Sea over which he flew from green-gray into a lovely sapphire blue, emerald green, and burning gold. When he and his father saw the beautiful Sicily lying far off like a gem in the sea, Apollo, the sun god, smiled on the waters with warmth, just as Icarus had wished. For Apollo could see below him a clumsier, darker-winged creature following a graceful, white-winged bird, which he took to have the body of a swan and the face of a boy, a boy who cried out with joy to feel the warmth of the sun on his limbs as he flew, the caressing touch of life-giving hands to poor, chilly Icarus. The boy felt his energy renewed, and he flew with new vigor, warmed by the gentle, giving sun. In joy and comfort, the boy dove down, down toward shining waves below, and then flew up, up, wheeling and soaring with a lightness of heart, each feather in his plumage shimmering with a sheen of silver and of gold. He plunged so far down that the underside of his wings skimmed across the white-tipped waves of the sea. But when he rose again and felt the golden warmth of the sun on his wings, on his head, and his back, and his legs, it felt so glorious, so terribly glorious. For in that moment, young Icarus forgot his father's words of warning about the wheels of Apollo's chariot, the sun. Just as he had excelled in foot races as a boy, now Icarus longed to race the birds themselves and win. He left his father far, far behind as he accelerated. Upwards he mounted, squinting as the sun became closer and then closer still. He felt so strong, so invincible, and so totally without fear that he was sure he could touch heaven, storm Mount Olympus itself. And in so doing, he could call out to Apollo, the sun god, and dare him to race for a wager from the Aegean Sea over to where Apollo rested his mighty chariot in the unknown west every night. His father watched, first with worry, then dread, and then terror, and he called out to his feckless son in a voice of anguish. But his warnings were lost in the whistling rush of the air currents as they swept through Icarus's wide wings. The boy cut the clouds with the precision of one of the king's surgeons, 
as he continued his upwards trajectory. So speedily did he fly, that it was as though he was being fired from some mighty god's slingshot into the sun. And then, as his father watched, his eyes squinting into the golden brilliance, he beheld what dreaded thing was occurring beyond the cloud into which his son had just sliced. It seemed as though the boy's strong wings, the wings he himself had built, were losing their power. Like a wounded bird, Icarus fluttered. He lunged sideways from the straight, clean light of his flight, and then, oh mercy, he recovered his equilibrium. Ah, but it was not to last. For just like a bird whose soft breast has been hit by the sure hand of the mighty archer's arrow, down, downwards, ever downwards he fell, turning and flipping and falling, falling, until he landed with a quiet plunge into that same sea that was still shining in innocent emeralds and improbably translucent blues. With that, the sun moved away in the sky, concerned not a whit for the disaster its warmth had brought for a father and his son, for its rays had slain one who dared too greatly. And now they danced upon the feathers that floated on the gentle golden seas, like the petals of a white flower plucked away one by one from a blossom at the height of its beauty. On the still face of Icarus did those rays shine and sparkle upon him as though there were diamonds scattered among the wet feathers of his wings, which lay there, spread on the water as if still carrying him in flight, rather than in death. And his father, Daedalus, what did he do now? We can tell you that although he was stricken at heart, he had no time to lament his son's passing, for he knew that the dark-proud ships of Minas might be on the hunt for the two escaped prisoners. So on he flew, not looking back, tears coursing down his cheeks in the chilly winds, until he came to a place of safety. It was there in Sicily that Daedalus built a temple to the sun god, and that he hung up his own wings, a calming offering to the seemingly angry god who had slain his son. When grey night fell on that part of the Aegean Sea, that still to this day bears the name of Icarus, there floated the wings of a boy whose dreams had come true. For only a short time, Icarus had known what it felt to have dreamed of potential, become reality, to have tasted the sweetness of perfect pleasure, but alas, to have lost it by an over-daring flight. So much had he dared, so little had he accomplished, and do we not often hear his story as a warning not to fly too high, go too fast, reach beyond the realistic or the expectations set by others, 
But can we blame the boy for striving, even in the few heartbeats of time, to feel the ecstasy of unlimited happiness? That, well, that is a question for one as wise as Daedalus, or as old as Apollo. Certainly not for me, or even perhaps for you, as you lie there in relaxation. Maybe you feel the warmth of that sun on your skin now, or can imagine it as I do. And as you reflect quietly on the wisdom of being happy, even with these bonds to earth and gravity and wherever you are right now, I will wish you flight as you drift off. And sweet dreams. <laughs>